to A Bit of Fun with Emily. It's me, your host, Emily. I am glad you're here. I hope you had a nice holiday weekend. It's a complicated thing to feel proud of where you're born and frustrated with how things are going. And frustrated isn't a strong enough word. Disgusted, scared, intimidated. But I hope there's some hope there. There's always hope. It's hard to find sometimes and very easy to dismiss in the din of angry voices surrounding you, but there's always hope. There are good people out there fighting the good fight. So, you know, look for those good people and step up and fight with them. But it, it is that. It's a din, the cacophony of angry voices that make finding creative outlets so important to focus us, to quiet us, to make us happy, and to help us find that hope that will spread into other areas of our lives. And that's what this podcast is for me. And we are in season seven, exploring some of the biggest summer blockbusters of summer's past. I'm a huge fan of summer blockbusters, the big flashy movies with the uber celebrities, and usually a lot of action scenes with people that are way too pretty that end with multiple things getting blown up. We've already established that I like fictional violence. I'm throwing, it is fictional violence. I do not like real violence, but it's more than that. It's almost the ritual of the summer movie season, the anticipation and buildup after having seen the trailer months or in the case of this summer's movies years before, <laughs> it's deciding to go to the drive-in or hiding out in a dark theater with excellent air conditioning. It's walking outside and getting literally blinded by the sun after you've been in the movie theater, <laughs> which always seems so bright. You're like, is the sun always this bright? It's grabbing a group of friends and going at midnight because there would be nothing worse than someone spoiling the movie for you. Side note, this old lady here loves that the midnight showings are now at 8 p.m. the Thursday before. Thank you, movie studios and theaters. Your acknowledgement of the work week is so much appreciated. The tricky thing about selecting just 10 films to talk about is that at least 10 films come out each year. <laughs> it was almost an impossible task. At least it's tricky if I'm thinking the long game with this here podcast. For instance, Raiders of the Lost Ark came out on June 12th, 1981. E.T. came out on June 11th, 1982. Ghostbusters, June 7th, 1984. Back to the Future, July 3rd, 1985. Top Gun, May 16th, 1986. So many movies come out in the summer that I absolutely love. In no time at all, this could easily have become a conversation about blockbusters of the 80s, which would be a great time, don't get me wrong. But if I talk only 80s summer blockbusters now, I'll have to wait to talk about Moonstruck and Lady Hawk and Inner Space and Gremlins, and I'm trying very hard to space out the 80s con content. This is not an 80s exclusive podcast. I just have to be very careful. But more importantly, how can you even bring up summer blockbusters and not talk about something like Jaws or Independence Day or Armageddon? That just seems impossible to me. So I made an executive decision to only allow one movie from the 80s on the list. And that movie was only allowed on because of the juggernaut of a sequel it has in the theaters as we speak. So yes, we will be talking about Top Gun. And I feel like I should take just a moment to state that I am completely aware that not all summer movies include explosions and violence. Some great comedies have emerged from June to August, Parenthood, Bridesmaids, Airplane, but I have a very specific plan of attack for this season, and comedies, it just won't work. And what is that plan of attack, you may be thinking? Maybe. <laughs> 
or maybe not. You could be thinking about the turkey sandwich in the fridge or what you plan on having for dinner. I think maybe I'm hungry. I am often thinking about food. But the plan of attack is to, of course, talk about some movies, but to also acknowledge the apocalyptic nature of so many summer blockbusters and how I most definitely would not have survived any of them. Well, that's not true. I, I think I could have survived the first one. We'll get into that in a minute. And in some cases, I don't think the characters should have survived either. Sometimes because they're dumb, sometimes because the scenario is so outlandish or so apocalyptic that it's insane. And while I find, you know, walking down the street difficult, if it's a pratfall in a comedy, I'm pretty sure I'd live to see another day. So the comedies just, they don't work. Not for this particular season. So on to our first movie. And it seems only fitting that we start with a movie that kind of gave birth to the summer blockbuster that started the trend that scared the bejesus out of millions and still gives me the heebie-jeebies. Today, we're talking all about Jaws. So of course, the director was Steven Spielberg. I think it's fair to say that this was his really big first theatrical success and kickstarted a run of fantastic movies that may have made him a legend. Close Encounters in 77, Raiders of the Lost Ark in 81, E.T. 82, The Color Purple in 85, and so on and so forth. What an amazing storyteller. I would love to talk about his re-envisioning of West Side Story with you sometime, maybe over a drink. Do you want to set that up? Let's let's set up a, a you know, a meet up at the bar and we will talk about West Side Story. I think that would be an awesome time. The screenplay was written by Peter Benchley, who wrote the novel that the movie was based on, a novel that spent 44 weeks on the bestseller list, and this guy named Carl Gottlieb, who has a rather unimpressive IMBD filmography, except that he also worked on the screenplay for The Jerk, starring Steve Martin. The movie, of course, came out on June 20th, 1975. It stars Roy Scheider as Brody, Robert Shaw as Quint, and Richard Dreyfuss as Hooper. And the budget would ultimately tip the scales at a little over $12 million, which was a huge budget for the average movie in 1975. It would go on to make over $260 million domestically and almost $472 million worldwide. We'll get to the interesting tidbits later, but I was reading this article on PBS about the movie, and it said that, and this is a direct quote from the article, Before the summer of 75, Hollywood studios traditionally did not advertise their movies on network television. It was simply too expensive to do so. Shortly before the release of Jaws, Columbia Pictures bought 42 primetime TV spots for another film, the Charles Bronson vehicle Breakout. Despite the advertising expenditures, which reportedly cost like $3.5 million, the box office results for the film were disappointing. Then for three nights preceding the release of Jaws on June 20th, 1975, Universal saturated the networks during primetime with 30-second trailers for the film. This time, for whatever reason, some combination of marketing savvy, timing, and national media exposure, it worked. The film easily surpassed the $100 million mark at the box office and broke the previous records set by The Godfather and The Exorcist. I thought that was fascinating. The article was specifically talking about how Jaws broke the mold and forever changed how movies are marketed. And I think it's just very, very fascinating that it's like one movie that does it like, oh, this worked. Hey, let's just kind of completely change the game. And because summer blockbusters weren't really a thing, there wasn't a ton of competition at the theaters. The only other movies I've actually heard of <laughs> that came out from June 
to August 1975 are Nashville, which came out on June 11th, The Apple Dumpling Gang on July 1st, and actually The Rocky Horror Picture Show on August 14th. Jaws won three Academy Awards. Best Music Original Score went to John Williams, who was actually the musical director of the Oscars that year. It was his second win, but first for the original score. And the movie was also won for Best Sound Mixing and Best Film Editing. And just in case you haven't seen the movie and have no idea what it's about, which is hard to believe. So just before the big 4th of July celebration on the small New York island of Amity, a young woman is attacked on the water by a great white shark. Unfamiliar with violence, the town doesn't quite know how to deal with the situation, and the sheriff, Brody, who's new to the position and Amity, doesn't have enough sway with the mayor to keep the beaches closed just in case. He he knows it was a shark attack. He wants to close the beaches. The mayor doesn't want to lose all the money that comes in on the 4th of July weekend. So when the shark kills two more swimmers uh, and the town kind of fails to kill the shark, despite a $3,000 reward, you have these men, very inept men on little boats trying to catch this big shark. Brody, a hardened Navy vet named Quint and Hooper, an oceanographer, headed out into the open water to hunt it down, to hunt down this big shark and to kill it before it could hurt anybody else. But catching the beast turns out to be harder than they could have ever dreamed, and the beast itself is far more terrifying than they could have prepared for. It taunts them, it hunts them, it destroys their boat. Spoiler, it kills poor Quint, and it finally meets its demise when Brody blows it up. There there are parts of this movie that hold up really well. I really like some of the close-up shots, especially of Brody, when you really get to see the, the fear in his eyes. People are still really stubborn and stupid and would prefer to dig in their hill, heels than admit there's a problem. And sharks are still scary. Uh, there was one time I was walking on the beach in Charleston, South Carolina, and I was in the water no more than I'm half up way up my shin, maybe a foot of water. And I'm walking and I turn and next to me is, I don't, I'm, there's a name for it. I'm sorry. I don't know the, the shark anatomy, but you know, the fin that sticks up out of the water that was right next to my leg. And I screamed and I fell in the water and I kind of scooted out backwards. And then I look and this shark, it was indeed a shark, but it was no more than like two foot long, maybe three. And I thought that was the scariest thing I'd ever experienced. And I don't normally go back into the water. It was in no way trying to get me, but, but no, sharks are just still really scary. Uh, but when you watch the movie, this shark really kind of looks ridiculous, at least at the end of the movie. Some of those effects just haven't held up really well. When it jumps onto the orca, the boat that Brody Quentin Hooper go out into the water to try to kill kill it, um, it grabs its captain, and then moments later when it comes back for the sheriff. So it's that moment, clearly fake, clearly animatronic. But the thrill's intention absolutely hold up today, and it's easy to understand why this was a big summer blockbuster. And I try to imagine, all right, we've never seen or only that one time have seen movie trailers at home when we're watching TV and you get a 30 second snippet. Well, you would want to know what was going to happen. So I think it's brilliant that they tried that. Side note, I didn't quite understand the weather in the movie during the rewatch. The people on the beach acted as if it was warm, but the men making the decisions, the politicians, even Brody, were dressed like it was late winter, early spring. Is that it? Is that a New England thing? I mean, if you're on the beach, you're warm. But if you're not on the beach, but like next to the beach, you need a coat. How does that work? (laughs) 
anyway, why, I, why wouldn't I survive this particular movie? Why wouldn't I have survived the shark? Actually, number one, I think I would have absolutely survived this particular movie. That definitely won't be the case for other blockbusters we'll discuss this summer, but I don't venture, like I said, more than knee deep into the ocean. So it's unlikely that dear old Bruce would have gotten me. But two, playing devil's advocate. There are three very probable outcomes that would have occurred had I gotten on the orca to hunt down the great white. One, I would have just fallen overboard. That's a given. Maybe not immediately, but definitely when the shark first appears and he takes the barrel. uh, And so then he's just swimming around and there's this barrel floating above them. It's no longer a pleasure cruise at that point. And he means business. This shark means business. If by some miracle I didn't fall overboard in that moment, when he shows up that evening and starts ramming the boat, I would have been a goner. Two, if that didn't happen, I would have accidentally shot myself with either a gun or a harpoon. Should that be able to happen? No, I firmly believe in safety first, but inevitably, as I was about to shoot the shark, I would have tripped or been tripped, harming myself in the process. Luckily, I don't tend to hurt others in my accident proneness, uh, so I think everybody else on the boat would have been fine, but I would have found a way to take myself out. Or three... There are a lot of ropes on that boat. If I hadn't fallen off or shot myself, there is every likelihood that I would have gotten my foot stuck in the ropes and been pulled overboard and eaten by the shark. So there you go. That's why I wouldn't have made it. Why shouldn't the characters have survived either? Well, Quentin Hooper seemed to know what they're doing, but it is very obvious that Brody is in over his head. The fact, I mean, they make the point of saying that he doesn't like boats. He doesn't like to be on the water, which just is an interesting choice to work in Amity then. But the fact that any of the aforementioned possibilities didn't take him out is astounding to me. Uh, I just, I don't believe that. (laughs) Or I find it extremely hard to believe that the boat is still afloat while they're building the cage that Hooper is going to use to get close to the shark and stab him with the needle of medicine-y, poison-y stuff. I know nothing about boats except that if the hole, is that what it's called, is punctured, uh, they tend to sink. And that boat was very clearly filling with water after trying to pull the shark to the shallows. They decide, okay, they've got him all roped up. They've tossed all their barrels. They're going to just pull him in, get him into the shallows, and then shoot him with that harpoon gun or stab him with something I can't really remember. Uh, And he does not take that well, and he severely damages the boat. How it stayed afloat long enough for them to build this cage, lower the cage, and manage Hooper's descent into the cage while the giant shark was also ramming the cage is beyond me. So that's why I don't think they would have survived. This boat would have sunk. This boat should have sunk, right? Right? So a few interesting tidbits about the movie. Several decades after the film's release, Lee Fierro, who played Mrs. Kentner, walked into a seafood restaurant and noticed that the menu had an Alex Kentner sandwich. She commented that she had played his mother in the movie so many years ago, and the owner of the restaurant ran out to meet her, and he was none other than Jeffrey Voorhees, who had played her son, who had played Alex Kentner. They had not seen each other since the original movie shoot. I just, that's a very sweet story. I love that. Hopefully it's true. According to director Steven Spielberg, the prop arm looked too fake in the scene where Chrissy's remains are discovered. Uh, So instead, they buried a female crew member in the sand with only her arm exposed. Movie magic. 
Director Spielberg said that when the first he first read the novel, he found himself rooting for the shark because the human characters were so unlikable. Isn't that often the case where sometimes you're like, man, just take them out. I felt that way personally about Harry Potter in the books. I wanted Voldemort to kill him. The movies were a different, different thing. But I, I can relate to that sometimes not liking whoever's supposed to be considered the hero. Spielberg shot roughly 25% of the film from water level to provide the viewers the perspective as if they were treading water, which definitely intensifies those thrills and that anticipation. And the Oceanographic Institute, uh, institution on the mainland that Matt Hooper comes from, refers to the real-life Woods Hole Oceanographic institution, I think I'm saying that one, in Woods Hole, Massachusetts, which Robert Ballard, who discovered the RMS Titanic, worked from Woods Hole, which I think is fascinating. There was this really cool program when I was in high school, I do believe, that was called Jason and the Argonauts. You could be an Argonaut and you could apply to kind of be a student worker with Ballard. A lot of it was online. Um, I think some kids actually got to go and do something. I remember applying. I didn't get in, but I thought that would have been fascinating. Uh, I am terrified of the ocean, so it would have been a very interesting experience. But uh, I think it would have been neat to be a part of some of that science-based work. But that is it for today. Thank you so much for joining me for the start of season, season seven and my 87th episode. How crazy cool is that? Next episode, we're heading into the danger zone with Top Gun. Uh, I do believe we are going to be going through the summer blockbusters in release date order. So I, I think that's what I decided. Thank you so much for listening, though, really. It is so appreciated. If you haven't already, I hope you subscribe so we can keep going on this journey together. And if you've got the time, it would be awesome if you could rate and review so that other individuals who like random conversations about pop culture with someone who doesn't really know what they're talking about but has a great time doing it, well, they can join the fun as well. Or if you want to share the podcast, that would be awesome, too. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at, at @gnomegirlm and on Facebook as a bit of fun with Emily. Have yourself a bit of fun today. <laughs>